Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Steve Garfield. He's the author of the new book, Get Seen, uh, about all things online video. Steve, thanks for doing this. Well, thanks for having me on. This is uh, going to be fun. So as I told you, I, I want to focus on the use of online video for B2B marketers. So uh, when does it make sense for a B2B marketer to use online video, and when doesn't it make sense? Well, so businesses have, you know, stories to tell and, and products to sell. And I mean, and, and businesses are, are made up of people, right? So, you know, the way I look at it, what's happening right now is a lot of businesses are interested in, um, you know, letting people who visit their website know who's there and let, letting people, visitors know that, that people are there behind the company. So that's one of the big things that, that's happening right now. Um, so let me ask you something. It, it seems to me, I mean, is, is it harder to get someone to watch than it is just to get them to listen or read? Because, I mean, I know, like today, I wanted to watch the Tiger Woods press conference on CNN.com. They could not sustain a, screen, a, a stream without so much excessive buffering that it was unwatchable. I went over to uh, Fox News to see if they could pull it off. They could not pull it off either. I had to go down and watch it on regular TV. And I think there still is the perception amongst a lot of people that when you click on video, it's going to take a long time to play. Yep. You know what, though? I actually, when, when big events happen, I actually forget. I don't go on the web to watch it. I like get up and go look at it on my TV too because those big events seem like they're just made for TV and I think that sometimes you know TV is best for these things but you know the, the videos that we're talking about that businesses can use and put up on their website you know some of them are a little longer but the, you know the majority of them are just short little clips that that play really fast I don't really see a lot of buffering anymore like back when when I first started with video I mean it was insane back when so I started putting video up on the web well you know in in the 2000s but when I first started video blogging was 2004 and to watch videos what we did back then was we downloaded them overnight so that the next day they'd be on our disk and you know quick and easy to watch but then you know, YouTube came along right around 2005 and just started um, popularizing the ability to go to the website and click and watch. And, and these days, when you go to a site, you know, just take YouTube, for example, I'm getting HD, qual HD quality, you know, 720p video. Um, it just looks amazing. And I, I don't see or even think about... Um, Buffering problems, really. But I've got to think. I've got to think, Steve. There's a sweet spot because, like, you're not going to use video to communicate everything. There are going to be certain things that are going to work with video, and certain things that aren't going to work with video. So, if you come into an organization, what are you looking for? Like, where is the low-hanging fruit for an organization that wants to start using some online video? You know, what is the one area where, if they apply some video, they're most likely to see the most gains? I mean, is there any sort of criteria or is there any divining rod you use when you're working with a company to figure out what would make a good video or, you know, where to go? Well, you know what? I, this is what's happening right now. Companies are calling me in to show them how to do it themselves because they've had, um, you know, production companies come in and it just becomes a huge production. It's like they're, they're doing like a, like a script in a whole TV show and some of them hire actors and they plan out and they get all, you know, everything that they want to say all written out and then it has to go to corporate to approve it. I mean, these videos, sometimes they just never get done. So what's happening now is I'm being brought in to show them how to use these um, small pocket HD video cameras and a lot of times it's the marketing department and they want to 
you know, share stories. So, for example, it might be giving website visitors a sense of, of um, you know, what it's like at a product rollout or a press conference or something, and they give the interns the cameras and say, just go out and shoot these things and bring it back, and we'll, we'll put up some video and clips to share with website video, uh, visitors. Like, another thing is companies want to put a face behind who they are, so it's like the About Us kind of videos. Um, you know, when you go to a website and you look at a website that's all text, you're like, okay, you know, I can read about the person, but if you go to, like, a competitor and you see people there talking to you, you get such a better feel for, for who they are, so I... A well, I actually, I got to tell you, to do that kind of thing, Steve. Sometimes I go to a website and there's a video that's like, you know, the equivalent of the welcome to my website video, and I'm yeah. usually aghast. I'm, I'm incensed, and I think, you know what? I don't want to hear you saying welcome to my video. On the other hand, I bought a chainsaw once that I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out how to start, and I googled the name of the manufacturer and I found a, a video of how to start it by the manufacturer, and I thought, wow that is really a good application of video in this case because they're showing me how to do something. It's a good application. I don't want to see necessarily a talking head sitting there, you know, telling me something that I could just read or like if I was looking through maybe a catalog of parts, you know, it would be much quicker for me to just scan a big page than it would be for me to have to endure a linear format where I had to hear everyone explain to me the different products that they sold. Yeah, so um, there's there's good places for video, and there are places where it doesn't work out so well. And for you, that's you know, I hear exactly what you're saying. So there are some businesses where you might want to see what the people are like to work with, like um, doctors' offices or you know, hair salons. Let's say you want to pick a new doctor, and you go to a website, and it's all names and like their backgrounds, and you know, this is kind of a personal thing. I would love to be able to go to a website and look down the list of doctors and just like click on each one and have them talk to me, so I can get a sense of you know, am I gonna like this guy as being my you know personal care physician? So um, I've been doing this podcast since 2005, and. I've always thought that there's more competition for ears and eyes than there is just for ears or there is just for eyes. Because when I'm in the position to devote my eyes and my ears to media, it typically means that I can watch Oprah or Dancing with the Stars or Charlie Rose. And that's pretty stiff competition. On the other hand, you know, there's a number of times when I can give you my ears when I don't have a lot of options, like when I'm commuting or when I'm exercising, you know, there's just not a lot of competition other than the serendipity of radio. And then, you know, when it comes to in a business environment, scanning the web, you know, before I commit to clicking that, you know, video button, I'm going to try to scan and see if I can make sure, you know, and qualify that it's going to be the right content first. So, you know, given those hurdles, how, how does a B2B marketer effectively employ online video? So what I think is they need to have like a section of their website designated for this video content so that like the, the people who are visiting the site, they're going to get what they want. And for example, for you who wants to scan the text part, they can just go in, scan the text part, get what they want and leave. And then they can have a part designated for maybe you know, videos, see inside the company, look at more, and then they can go to the video and they can go browse that and find in information in there. I think, like, one really good example of that was um, Robert Scoble when he made Channel 9 for Microsoft. You have the whole Microsoft website, all the corporate stuff, and then Robert Scoble went in with a camera behind the scenes and he interviewed the different programmers and, and people who worked at Microsoft, and that you know, personalized the company. That was a huge success and got a lot of traffic and a huge community was built around those videos he did. So um, I think that if companies are smart, they can segment their website and give, you know, people like you who are more audio or text-based, give them all that information over there and also give people um, video information in another place. And then at the same time, you know, I've been looking at a lot of different websites that do this and some that are successful. You might have um, websites that sell things like Zappos is the 
one of the best success stories in this in how you go and you search through all their products same way as you search any you know website for products and then there's like a little button that says if you want to see a video of this click that so you know you get the fast way of scanning with all the text and the photos and then if you choose to look at the video they they have it there and they've found that i think the numbers um i actually have to go check but it could be like 20 to 30% more conversion of sales on those products that they added video to. So there are a lot of statistics that show um, when businesses add video, it, it helps them sell things. I mean, and if that's the business you're in, that's something that they should you know seriously look at. Sure. No, it's a good point. Um, it's not that I'm necessarily text or audio based. It's just that, you know, I, I have this sort of feeling that different media is going to be good for different types of purposes. I remember yep. one time um, I was teaching a social media boot camp in New York. And in the class, I had the folks from Countrywide Financial, when there still was a Countrywide Financial. And I had the folks from Victoria's Secret. And we were talking about podcasting. And the question on the table was, well, do you do an audio podcast or a video podcast? And I sort of said, you know, jokingly, if you're a countrywide financial, you do an audio podcast. If you're Victoria's <laughs> Secret, going, yeah. you do a video podcast. Because it's like, unless there's something to see, why ask me to give you my eyes? I can use my eyes for something else while I'm multitasking and give you my ears. I don't need to see, you know, a, a talking head. Um, but if there's something that you can show me, or a demonstration, or if the video really has purpose, then I can I see huge value there. I just wonder. I mean, is that is that something you see or no? Well, you know what? A lot of times, actually, when I'm looking at a video, I will um, pull it up, and there, let's say, it is a talking head video, and you see a couple people. Um, you know, they're talking and they're doing, like, we'll call it a video podcast. I will click it open, look at them, and then I quickly associate, okay, who's who? Which which voice is which person? I get a sense of what they look like and who they are. And then I'll put that win window in the background and start doing email or, you know, anything else on the web. So I think, um, you know, you can e even have it both ways. But, you know, adding video to it, I mean, let me just say this, that, Video is a lot more than just video on a web page, and and what it brings is um, the ability to to get to know people like on on such a, a deeper level, and and you know I've experienced it, and I actually you know watch other video bloggers' videos, and that's where it where it comes through um, so clearly to me is that um, I watch these other people's videos, and then when we meet in person and I go to like social media conferences like you do and we, we see each other, it's like you're not really meeting for the first time. And sometimes with like podcasters or, or text bloggers, you're like, uh, no, who are you? Oh, oh, oh yeah, you're, you're that guy who does that podcast. So, um, you know, on a personal level, you get such a deeper connection to a person by having video. And I think this is the thing. I think that businesses versus being just like a corporate entity are looking at trying to connect with with customers and website vi visitors on a on a personal level and that's why i think everybody is is looking at bringing video into their websites right now on may 6th and 7th 2010 in new york city co-chairs elizabeth albrecht and eric schwartzman with the support of prsa bring you the third annual Digital Impact Conference, featuring keynote presentations from Gabriel Stricker, Director of Global Communications and Public Affairs at Google, Jennifer Preston, Social Media Editor of the New York Times, and Jeremiah Oyak, Analyst and Partner at the Altimeter Group. To save $100 on admission, visit ontherecordpodcast.com for the promo code before you register. Let's talk about um, uh, on-demand video versus streaming video. Um, are there any guidelines you can give B two B marketers about when to apply those different modes of distribution? 
So when you say streaming, do you mean live streaming? I mean, yes, it's happening or, live, not not flash streaming, but it's actually occurring now as we watch it. Live streaming, yeah. So, um, the, you know, so the live streaming is great for letting uh, prospects or clients or anyone kind of attend maybe an event that they couldn't get to. I mean, we see it here in you know Boston. I'm in Boston, and we have so many uh, social media events every week. I mean, just this past week, we had 16 events on one day, <laughs> and it was just crazy. Um, but you know, a lot of people can't make it out, or they don't want to make it out to these different events. And when the events provide um, the live streaming, that just allows people from you know wherever to participate so i think that's a great example of live streaming and how then produced does it have to be does it have to be really slick with multiple cameras or are you thinking you just put up a couple of webcams and let people see i mean how, how do you how do you how does that work and also can you address gear like yep. what do you recommend oh exactly so here we go this is the this is the big this is the big issue right now um a lot of people think so, so people are afraid, and they're like, oh, man, I'm going to have to invest in all this equipment, all this gear, all the you know mics and everything. And um, if you do that or if you hire a company to live stream, you're going to have a brilliant webcast, you know. But um, this is what happens with me sometimes. They'll, they'll say, oh, man, Steve, um, can, you li- can you just live stream this thing for us? And it's like 10 minutes before the, the, the meeting happens so I'm like okay sure why not so all you really need at at the at the minimum you would need like for example I have a MacBook Pro and it has an iSight camera on it and all I have to do is turn that on and then use you know any number of streaming uh, software products uh, a couple that I use right now are uh, Ustream and Livestream and what do you like um, better Ustream or Livestream uh, I like them both. I mean, it depends on on what I'm doing. Well, I'll give you an example. I was just over in New York, and I was a guest on um, the CBS Morning Show, their live backstage show. And um, on Sunday, on um, Saturday mornings, they have CBS This Morning, and then they have this behind the scenes show where the people who were on TV they kind of come back and they do a, a live webcast. So I went in there and I did a live behind the scenes of the behind the scenes show and all I had with me was my MacBook Pro so what I did was I turned it on and in this in this case I used the uh, Ustream and Ustream now has an application that you can run right on your uh, Mac or PC which gives you even better quality so you run this little application from Ustream and you turn it on you sign up with Ustream first uh, with a free account and you click uh, live stream and then you can tell all your Twitter fo- Twitter followers that you're live streaming. So there I am over at CBS in New York, and I'm walking around with my laptop, you know, holding it and holding the eyesight around saying, hey, everybody, here I am behind the scenes at CBS Live. I'm going to be on in a bit. Let's walk around and show you guys what it's all like. And, and the one thing I just forgot to mention, you can click record at any point, and it starts recording the audio and video, and then you click stop recording, and then you have your your video, which is archived and it, it's saved, and you can do whatever you want with it. So um, and they have integrated social media too, right? You can you can you can chat, you yep. can tweet it out, and Actually, Facebook there, it, and everything. A little window there on the side where you can chat with people who are watching on the web page. You can chat and have all your messages go out to Twitter. Yep, just like that. Let me ask you something: if if somebody comes to you and says, uh, "I don't want to." you know do professional but i do want to have something i can put on a tripod you know and i do want to be able to have good quality sound uh yeah. what do you recommend what 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 would be the good ca- good camera for that so here's the, the question about this um the, the answer is it's a it's like a canon hv20 or a canon hv30 that's the camera and you know a tripod like a manfrotto tripod um, and the mic you could use, um, I have a number of mics. Um, one I like is an Audio-Technica AT2020. That, that's a mic that makes you sound like you're on the radio. It's really good. And then another one I use is Audio-Technica. It's an AT3550. These are little lavalier mics that you can get for like under $30. 
it's unbelievable how good quality uh, the mics are. So you get the camera, you get uh, a couple mics, hook it up to a computer, and, and you go. Now, the reason that I mentioned that specific brand is because it has FireWire on it. And a lot of the live streaming sites on the web require you to have uh, a FireWire connection. And all these new cameras, like these new HD cameras, they took FireWire off um, because you don't need FireWire anymore. And I'll just briefly tell you why that is. Back when they used to have videotape-based cameras, they had a FireWire port on the camera, which you would connect to your computer. And then when you wanted to bring all your footage in, you would play the tape and it would stream the footage like if you had an hour of video it would stream an hour and it would take an hour to get onto your computer and it used firewire but now with the little SD cards they use USB 2.0 and that's a file transfer um, mechanism so what you do is you cook your camera in with USB 2.0 and you drag and drop your file you just copy you know and paste it onto your laptop so most um, cameras and laptops can't stream on USB. Uh, there might be some, but I'm not aware of them. So the FireWire is really w what you want to look for in a, a, a good camera. And, um, and you know, what, you what if you want to do like, um, what if you want to have multiple cameras and call cameras on a live feed? Is that doable? Right. Yep, you can do that now. And you couldn't do that too easily before. So there's two ways to do that. Um, one is um, this Ustream uh, application that I just mentioned. The free version allows you to have one camera. The paid version allows you to have multiple cameras. So if your laptop has like two FireWire ports, um, well actually what they would recommend is you use one FireWire port for one camera and then stick in a, um, a card, an add-on card that gives you uh, more FireWire on, an, on another bus so you're not using all the bandwidth of your computer with all your cameras. So you have two cameras on there. Um, have so you, have you that. done that? I, I don't have the um, I don't have the pro version of Ustream, so I have not done that. But what I have done is this other example um, for live stream. So um, they used to be called Mogulus TV, but now it's called live stream. Um, and with that, you can have a camera on your laptop, and then you can have another camera on another laptop and you can have laptops um, spread out around the room or you could have laptops spread out around the country and I, I'm a reporter for um, this site called um, well, let's see uh, I'm, well, a number of a number of sites um, the uptake is one of them and when I was doing reporting for the presidential election I was reporting from Boston they had someone in uh, Montana and Colorado, and they used live stream. It's like a TV station on a computer. And so they have a little window, and everybody who's on live stream, you, you log in into their account, and they can see all the little windows, and they say, okay, here we are in Colorado. Now we're going to go to Boston. And when they click the little picture of me that's live streaming from my computer, I'm starting to stream live. And then they're like, okay, that's good, Steve. Now we'll go up to the person in Montana or wherever else they were, and they click that, and they have the different people coming in. And then they can also roll in um, videos from YouTube and different things like that. So it's just like a TV station. And that's and you can do that with the free version of live stream. And then as you want more features, you know, they have a, a paid version. So you know, it, it wasn't always this easy, but now it's it's pretty straightforward when you use you know one of these tools. What about screencasting? What do you like for screencasting? Uh, now, screencasting, uh, there's so there's a ton and ton of uh, solutions out there, and in the book I have them all listed. I could go check out you know the ones I have listed, but you know what? The new version of uh, on the Mac OS 10 has a screen capture, QuickTime screen capture in it which captures all the video and all the sound right off your screen. So but can you live stream it? Can you live stream it? Uh, like what if you wanted oh, to you have want to a, a live stream where, you know, your people are talking on a panel and then you want to cut away to a screencast and then go back to the people? Is there a way to do that? Um, yep, Ustream does that. This little application, um, I'm just looking it up now, Ustream Producer. Yep. Oh, there it is. 
But um, I'm going to shut that off because it's all playing music in my headphones. But, yeah, Ustream, Ustream Producer, it, it lets you have um, – and Livestream, too, I think. Both if, – if the listeners go to both of those sites, they can check out and find which one you know, they, that they, they think is best. But they have, like, 3D effects. So it's a big window of you. And then you're like, okay, the next thing I want to show is my desktop. And you click a button, and it, it, it makes you go small – in this 3D effect down into the corner, and then it makes your desktop big, and you can look at, you might have a PowerPoint running or some slideshow, show that, and then bring yourself back up big, small, move it around, you know, with just clicking buttons now. So obviously everybody likes the Mac for video, um, but let me ask you, I mean, when you talk about producing a live stream like we're talking about here, Mm -hmm. are we basically talking about a desktop Mac at this point, or... Just do it on a MacBook Pro. That, that was the initial question you had. You need all the equipment. And then what I was saying was like at these conferences, they're like, hey, Steve, can you stream this? Right, no, no, no. But, but what if you want to get an external FireWire you know, hub of some kind? And I mean, if you, when you really want to pile on a lot of different spaghetti and do a really sophisticated program with multiple cameras, cutting away to a screencast, having everybody mic'd up, I mean, I would think... You know, sooner or later, you know, you're going to max out on a MacBook Pro, no? Um, you know what? I think that you can do it on a, on a Mac Pro because all you're really doing is switching between, you know, your external cameras. It's not really processor intensive. In that example, all those mics and things and all that, you know, audio is out on the cameras. So, like, one camera has you know, it's audio, the other camera has its audio, and all you're doing is using the application. But, I mean, we're talking about about a line-in that's a male mini, and I've got to think, you know, even if it's a mixer with four or five different lavs coming into it, you know, that that little mini, man, that thing's not meant for, you know, high-quality broadcast. Well, the mini, you mean... In the mini mic into the like the Canon camera. No, no, I'm thinking of the male mini um, uh, pot into the MacBook Pro. I mean, oh, that's no, the only going, option. You, no, 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 you're going. The audio's coming in over FireWire. Ah. You're not using audio in on the Mac. Well, but then, okay, so, but let's say, for example, you've got a panel with four people, moderator, three people, and you want to mic them all up individually. You want them all to have wireless lavaliers. How do you mix that down and take it into the Mac? Well, you bring it all in to, so you have like a um, like a switcher, an audio breakout between the camera and all the mics and, and things. So you have the person working over there, and then your FireWire brings it in on that one FireWire cable. So you're saying all the video and all the audio would come into some sort of a FireWire hub of some kind. I'm, so what I'm what I'm saying is you take like like okay so on my um, like I have a Canon GL2 and I have a um, like a Beach Tech box which has my XLR coming in so I would have that going out to my panel so all the audio comes into my camera and then the only connection I have from my camera to the Mac is the one FireWire cable I'm not doing any audio on my Mac. So you're taking all the audio into the camera and mixing it in the camera. Right. And you can do that with uh, one of these small Canon cameras. Right, yeah. I mean, that's the way I would do it. I mean, I, I keep everything simple. I try and figure out you know, the simplest way to, to, do, to do it. Um, there are um, a lot more expensive ways, and, pro- and there are companies that are totally in business to make sure your live stream is is you know perfect and pristine and is going to work and you can bring in a specialized hardware box called the TriCaster which will you know totally give you your your perfect live event streaming with multiple cameras and multiple audio and that box is made to do kind of what you're talking about with just make sure you have it all perfect but if I walk into a venue with like my MacBook and I have um Let's say that Audio Technica AT2020 USB mic. Let's, I don't even have an external camera, and then I have a webcam, a USB webcam, and that that's and not I'm, wireless, right? That that USB mic no, is those not. Those are all those are all wired. Okay. So, it, for example, um, I was on a panel for news, and what I did with that was I have 
this um, USB cam with a really long wire. And whenever each new panelist talked, I, I was like, hey, can you, can you grab this webcam and just pass it down and, and put it in front of that person who's speaking? Gotcha. And they could see, and they could see my, my screen, and they could kind of frame it. And then I had my USB mic on a mic stand, and I would, like, w w stand up, walk over, take the mic stand, and put it in front of the, the panelist that was speaking. So, I mean, this is just, like, bare bones, get it, it done. And, and, it, and you know what, though? The thing is, I'm sitting there on the laptop, and, and every, people are watching from around the world, and they're chatting at me, and here's, like, the best thing. They're saying, hey, Steve, thanks so much for, you know, streaming this thing live. We couldn't make it tonight. And then they see the guy beside me um, is a friend, and these people moved away to Washington, and they're like, can you say hi for me? So when it's, when it's my turn to talk, I'm like, you know what? We have, someone in the audience wants to say hi to you, and we say hello. And then the people in the chat room, they want to see what the, the audience looks like. So I'm like, hey, audience, can I put the webcam on you guys? And they say yeah. So then I turn the webcam on the audience, and they're all saying hi and waving. And the people in the chat room are saying, oh, say hi to that person. And and, and this is like a new thing. The audience was never in control of, of the broadcast because, you know, what we're used to is sit back and watch. And with this live streaming and, like, the way I do it where I'm like, oh, okay, hey, guys, what do you want to see? And I, like, walk around, move the camera, move the mic. It's not, you know, the, the professionally produced, you know, live streaming event. There's people who do that. Mine is more interactive with with um you know the people who are watching they're directing me as to what they want to see and i think we're just starting to see the beginnings of that people are still afraid of of not doing it perfect they're like ooh i don't want to interrupt the camera or i have to have great audio and and the way that i think about it is that you know what? Hey, I'm streaming live. I'm just doing this. You guys can see it. Here, I'm going to move this mic so you can hear better. You know, on on one um conference recently, they're they're chatting to me in the chat room and they're like, "We can't hear that speaker." Um, Steve, can you fix that? And then I'm like, "Excuse me, can you you know, stand for the people out that are remote? Can you just get near the microphone a little bit? You know, no problem. Just go ahead and like, you know, people who are familiar with me, they're like they know that that it's not it's not a problem because I'm not trying to do the the TV show perfect production. I mean, I could and and spend time doing that and plan it out and all, but um, with these ad hoc live streaming. Oh, I have another even better example. I was at MacWorld and um, they were doing the iPad um, discussion at MacWorld, and so people are tweeting me, "Hey, Steve, um, they're not streaming that live. Can you stream it live?" So I just went and sat in the front row. And I took that um, Ustream Procaster and turned it on, live streaming with my eyesight. And I just flipped the laptop around on my lap, front row center, and, and I streamed it. And people could just watch that session from wherever they were. What and type of a broadband connection do you need to sustain a stream? I mean, are you doing this with an air card? You know what? That's a, uh, that's a great question. And the, the, the uh, 3G service there and the Wi-Fi, uh, everything was horrible. This, people weren't even being. You couldn't even do a phone call from inside the Moscone Center. You've probably been there and know how bad it is. But um, I was on Wi-Fi and it worked. This you know crappy Wi-Fi that everybody was sharing. Just free Wi-Fi provided. Free Wi-Fi. Wow. Yeah. Um, what about and, reliability? Because, I mean, you do this a lot, and i got to think, you know, you get a pretty big crowd once in a while. At what point does a service like Ustream or Livestream start to take a dump? Like, how many people can it support? I think that number is thousands upon thousands. Have you done that? I mean, have you had thousands upon thousands I, for I an ad hoc stream? No, I haven't. But... Um, they will support thousands and thousands of of of, of viewers. Like, um, so you don't see any, you don't see any sort of threshold with those free services because often when an organization uh, you know commissions the bandwidth to uh, live stream an event, it's expensive because they have to guarantee that bandwidth and they want to make sure they are not going down, and so yeah, they pay I, for it. You know what? I think that I've never hit. You know, thousands of, of viewers, but get, your listeners will have to go to um, the Ustream site and the Livestream site to look at the uh, limits 
on these free accounts because I think there are limits and I just have, haven't hit them. But, you know, if you're going to do a, a big event like what you're talking about, like, for example, USA Today uses live stream. And in order to support, you know, tens of thousands of viewers, I think you need to move up to a pro package. And when you do that, I think, there, you know, there's a lot uh, more added features um, higher quality stream, you know, better picture, all, the, all these different things. So, you know, I would encourage people to go to the sites and check it out for themselves. The top-rated, longest-running social media communications training program comes to Los Angeles this August 2010. Bring your laptop, log on, and learn the ins and outs of effective social media communications and search engine optimization. Reserve your space by logging on to www.newmediaprbootcamp.com Now I could see how um, people would be pretty forgiving of the quality of a live stream if it's ad hoc and you're figuring out a way to bring it to them because they couldn't make it. But um, I would imagine a business-to-business buyer who was looking at different videos uh, in the process of a buying cycle uh, might actually, you know, look at the quality of the video as a reflection of of the quality of a brand. You yeah. Know? So, so when it comes to feature oriented content, not this live streaming stuff, but feature oriented stuff that's got an extended shelf life. I mean, right. what what when you're going to produce that type of a, of a, of content? How does your sensibility differ, if at all? Uh, so there's really two. I, there might be two questions in there. Um, it, one goes back to the expectations that people have when they visit the website. And so if it's like the corporate site where they want to present and have excellent quality, there's that. But then if there's this like back room or hidden or blog or video blog site where visitors, visitors expect, you know, have, they don't have as high expectations. So I, I think setting expectations is, is the first thing of, of, determining what quality of production you're going to do. And then the second thing I think is um, it's, I think it's a lot about producing these videos. So um, we're talking about ad hoc and it's not always about the equipment because nowadays I use, you know, I have uh, a lot of equipment. I have eval from different companies like Kodak and I had all the different uh, flip cameras and you get, some excellent HD quality video with these cameras. And for example, the, the Kodak ZI8, which is one I use, has a mic in jack. And the, the Audio-Technica lavalier mic I mentioned before fits right into that. So if you plug in a microphone into um, the Kodak ZI8 and put it on a tripod, bring in some extra lighting, hook that up to a person and have them you know, do their thing, you're getting exceptional web quality video. So then the next thing you're going to think about is, is this going to be like off the cuff and casual kind of video, which a lot of companies, that's exactly what they want to do these days. Or maybe they want to, you know, have it more produced and think about what they want to present. But the the um, hardware isn't going to hold them back from producing it, you know, inexpensively now. You don't have to invest in all, all the big gear anymore. Talk to us about Codex for a second, because I know um, I've actually been, you know, unpleasantly surprised to have bought in gear, taken it home, and realized, oh my god, this isn't going to su- support the Mac, or it's not going to support the PC, or it doesn't work in this program. So exactly. what, is, what are sort of the right one? Like, what are the, what are the safest bets? in terms of video format? Well, you know, it, it ends up depending on what you have, either a Mac or a PC. And so since I'm, Yeah, so, um, you know, for a Mac, it is so easy because, <laughs> um, you know, almost anything that I bring in works here on the Mac. And I so for people uh, want to know what I use to edit... Um, right now, I use iMovie 09, and that brings in uh, QuickTime movies, and it brings in the ABC HD format. And you just plug in, um, you know, your SD card that has your movies, and iMovie opens up, and it says, "Okay, here are these pictures of these different movies that are on that device. Click check off which ones you want, load it onto the computer, and it 
loads them right in. So um, for the Mac, it's really not that much of a problem. Um, okay, you know, what about for I mean, the PC. Um, I don't use the PC that often. Um, I did some testing with different programs and 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 cameras, but um, you know, in the book, I have a list of all different. Um, PC editing programs, but um, you know for the the one I used most recently was the, you know the ones that come with the cameras work with the camera. So I did a seminar for Kodak out in L- LA recently, and I used the Kodak ZI8, and I used the the software that came with the camera on a PC, and because it was a PC based workshop, and so the way that worked was you put the you open up the software, click in the camera, it opens opens up the video and edits it. So, um, you know, I guess if when you're making your buying decision, you want to check out what format the camera is, what software you have on your computer, and make sure that they're compatible um, before you go. And then if they're not compatible, there are programs that will, you know, convert. But, you know, that's an extra step that, I don't really like to go through. Let's talk about HD for a second. I was headed out of the country. I didn't have a camera. And I was in an airport. They had one of those Best Buy vending machines where you can buy gear. And they had in one of those things an HD flip. So I figured, oh, HD flip. I'll check this out. So I pick up this HD flip. And, you know, I'm making these little movies and stuff. And I'm putting them onto my PC to edit them. And I realized the file size of these things is they're crushing. I mean, they're huge. You know, I mean, the amount of space and processing power it takes to put together a little 10-minute HD video on a regular PC is just like, you know, seriously a productivity drain if you're just trying to do it in the course of your workday. And so I started to think, man, HD, man, you really have to have serious storage and serious processing power to use this stuff. Am I wrong? Am I Did, it, did I make a mistake? What did I do wrong? Well, no, you're right, and... Um, what I run into a lot of times is if I'm out on the road and I have an HD camera, a lot of times, like for example, the Kodak ZI8, it does 1080p and it does 720p. So I'll shoot in 720p knowing that it's going to take less processor power and less storage because I don't have a lot of room on my hard drive. And then once I get it in the computer, I know it's going to be a little laggy when I try and edit. Um, but yet when I come home, I always put my footage on an external firewire drive and that totally takes care of my problem with with processing the videos so and you know the storage and the processing so I always put the videos on a disk that's not my um, my laptop or the one that runs the programs if you're a regular listener of this podcast then you know that on the record online continuously delivers useful information that increases your professional value to your employer or your clients. And you also know the podcast is and always has been 100% free, delivered as a service to the community. And now, for the first time, I'm asking you for something in return. Your opinion. I want to know what you think about this podcast. Log on to www.ontherecordpodcast.com and take the listener survey. Over the past five years, I've given you 200 hours of compelling programming. And now I'm asking you to please give me five minutes of your time in return. Go to www.ontherecordpodcast.com and take the listener survey today. Do you keep uh, so, all your clips? I mean, if you are out and you get all this HD and you put together a nice ten-minute little clip and you're happy with it, do you keep all that, all that, all those the the rushes, or do you dump them? Uh, good question. I this is how I think when I do these movies and I put them up, put them together, all the clips together, and then I put them up online wherever I'm hosting them. That's where my video is now, online. And I don't really, I never go back to the rushes. So I don't really need them. But 
the hard drives are so cheap, being like 150 bucks or whatever for it might even be under 200 for a terabyte drive. It is. What, what, I just so, picked one up for yeah. It was like 170, right 180 right. so, bucks. So like I have old drives with old footage on them, but I just unplug those and then I have my new drive and I plug it in and I just dump my new footage on it and and the the media management that we used to do because discs used to cost so much I don't even do anymore. I just buy a new drive and put the new footage on that one and when that one fills up I buy a new drive and unplug this one and and put it over to the side. What and about cataloging? Cuz when you do this, you know, you get all these clips with this like IMG underscore, you know, a number and it's like, you know, do you retitle the stuff? Cuz I mean, if you come back to it later, coming through actually finding something is going to be just a killer, right? Oh, yeah, that there's like no there's like no naming convention, but when I bring the files into the Mac, I like give it um, a title of an event. So when I open up my um, iMovie and I can look and I can see the year and the date and the event, so it's all totally cataloged for me. And then when I click into the event and I want to look at the footage, I don't need to know any of its names because as you move the cursor around, you can just quickly like scan through and see everything. Like they give you a little thumbnail, and as you move your cursor around, you can just like scrub through the whole thing. So it's 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 simple to to look at the old footage. You don't you're not looking at file structures anymore. You're just visually kind of looking through files, and you know by date and by title. So that isn't even really a problem for me. And I do so much video, but. And really, the real answer is I never go back to this archives things ever. I do the project, get it done, put it up online, and then move to the next thing. So, but somewhere next to you, you've got these ten hard drives with where you're keeping it all, right? Yeah. Well, I got four here, but in the back room, I have like four others just stacked up. But I never go back to them. But they're there. I don't need it. They're there, but I don't. But I don't you don't dump it. it. You keep it for some reason, just in case, right? Who well, knows? Because maybe you got a video of someone <laughs> who's going to wind up in some big scandal, and you're, then you're going to have the video, you know, for CNN. Well, exactly, Riley Hunter. <laughs> you know, my friend Chuck Olson. He was following the John Edwards campaign, and he had some clips of Riley Hunter back when she was his videographer back then. So he had a way to go back and get that. So you're, you're right. What about video search? Are you, is that something you're concerned with? Like, are, are you pretty much focused on helping organizations get up to speed with the video and figure out a strategy, or are you also helping them search engine optimize it and maximize it, maximize its visibility on a website? Um, not as much as you know, showing them how, introducing them to how easy the tools are and uh, demystifying it, and showing them how. You know how easy it is to do this stuff. I'm starting to work with um, some companies that do SEO, so I'm learning a lot about SEO. And in the book, there are some experts who, who who give advice on how to help your videos get found. And some of that is, you know, to have a good um, title and in the description, you know, describe what's in the video. And then, like, what's always worked is by putting video in a blog post and having the what I do a lot of times is a transcript of what every, everything that's in the video is a transcript right within the blog post that word goes for with word. the video. Word for word? Yeah, word for word transcripts. Like for the book, I did over 30 interviews, um, a lot of them down at South by Southwest, and I did the videos with a flip cam, and then I um, found, I was like figuring out how am I going to transcribe it all, but I found someone who was pretty reasonable, and they transcribed it all, gave me the text back, and so that now lives with all the videos, and then Google indexes it and can find it. Like, that's pretty simple. Um, but you I know, they just, may not have had it at the time, but there's a new version now of Mac Speech Dictate, which I saw, is so good. I mean, it's unbelievable how good it is. The one that does the transcribing of audio files. It does. Right? I mean, the only difficult thing about it is it, it gets to know your voice, you build a profile, and then it gets better as you use it. And I imagine, you know, if what you were doing is transcribing videos with different people, you know, it might be a little bit more challenged each time out. But I've been using it very um, uh, effectively to uh, uh, help me with my show notes for this podcast. And I've got to tell you, it's knocked the amount of time it takes me to do show notes in half. Wow. And they just got bought by Dragon. Oh, is that right? 
Nuance bought um, Max Beach. I didn't know that. But you know what? Do you know about Max Beach Scribe? No, I do not. So that's another version of Max Beach Dictate, which allows you to transcribe um, like MP3s. Interesting. Audio files. See, I've sort of had a workaround where what ah. I've been doing is I've been taking <laughs> the I've been taking the audio as a line out into the mic jack oh, of, nice. of my <laughs> MacBook Pro and then just switching it on. Yeah, oh, because it awesome. doesn't have a way yeah. in Max Beach Dictate to do that. But so they have another product that does. What's it called yep. again? Scribe. Uh, match Speech Scribe. Scribe. Yep. Scribe. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, his name is Steve Garfield. The book is Get Seen. How can we, if we want to take one of your seminars, how do we do it? Where, where what's going on? When's the next one? Uh, well, right now I do them for you know companies. Uh, and so, if anybody wants to contact me to come in for you know a company and get them going on how to do video, they can just contact me. Steve at stevegarfield.com. And then I do um, a lot of talks around the country at different events. So um, let's see where I'm going to be. I'm probably not going to be doing a talk, but I'm going to be at South by Southwest. So if people want to see me over there, we're going to have a big Wiley book event. I would love to meet people at that. Oh, I'll be there. When's when's the book event? Uh, I think it's going to be Saturday night. But, oh, please, if people want to follow me on Twitter, um, at Steve Garfield, I'm tweeting about, you know, wherever I'm going to be. And uh, actually, the next thing, one of the next things is in April, I'm going to be at Jeff Pulver's 140 conference in New York. And I have a pretty exciting panel about um, real-time TV with the producer of the Jimmy Fallon Show and the producer of that CBS Backstage Live. And we're going to talk about, just similar to what we were talking about, the audience interacting with shows versus just sitting back and watching. That's something I'm really interested in. Well, that's great. And Jeff Pulver was on an episode of this podcast a couple weeks back. We'll have a link in the show notes as well as to your Twitter ID and your website and um, and a link to the book. <coughs> Excuse me. So let me, let me repeat that. Hold on. And Jeff Pulver was featured in a recent episode of this podcast. We'll have a link to that episode in the show notes, as well as a link to uh, where you can follow Steve on Twitter, where you can uh, uh, find out about you know the different things that he's doing and, uh, and more about the book. Um, Steve Garfield, on this uh, Friday end of day, thank you very much for joining me. All right. Thanks, Eric. It was fun. <laughs> See you later. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.